Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Get It Productions Film Podcast. Now, it's been quite a while since you've heard from us. Um, I want to say 10 months, jeez. Um, in that time, we've been very busy doing a lot of things, which I'm sure we'll get to, but uh, we apologize, and yeah, we will not let that happen again. So... It's just me tonight. Michael could not make the podcast. He sends his regards. But I really, rather than wait for him, I really wanted to kind of get some opinions out about two movies that we saw this last week, Hereditary and Superfly. Now, Hereditary is, um, it's blowing up the charts. It's, It's deemed the scariest movie of the summer, which, I mean doesn't have much competition but i thought it'd be interesting to talk about that uh i saw it and michael finally saw it and we had a call about it and it was interesting because we kind of found the same issues with it now to kind of dive right into it hereditary brought to us by a24 awesome awesome production company on the scene it was written directed by ari aster it was his directorial debut It has been called one of the scariest movies of the summer, maybe ever, by the Washington Post. As of right now, it has a 91% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I have friends who who love this movie, and it honestly, it worries me, because there were so many problems with it, that it's kind of worrying that so many people liked it so much. Um, For instance... I follow Script Shadow pretty religiously, and Script Shadow had a lot of the same issues. I, I'm not sure if he's seen it yet, but he's read the script and he had the same issues with the script that showed up on the screen. So I have a feeling he wouldn't like it if he saw it. But basically, for those of you who have not seen it, spoiler alert, stop listening because I'm going to go into the details. Um, A woman's mother dies and... She had a very strained relationship with her mother, and as it turns out, her uh, her mother was the leader of a cult that stole the soul of her daughter and gave it to a demon, and then took that demon and put it into her son and killed the whole family doing so. Yeah, it was. It sounds more interesting, actually. When I describe it that way, but let's let's get into it. This movie tried to be a haunted house, a possession, and a cult story all at the same time. And it didn't do any of the three well. If they had just picked one, well, we it would be it would have been a more cohesive story. It tried to be a lot of movies at once, and honestly it really did suffer for it. I I have to say, I appreciate that there were no jump scares. It did not rely on cheap tricks. It built its atmosphere. It built its world, and it was very interesting. I didn't find it that scary, though. I mean, there was tension, and there was definitely some some moments where you're just like, oh my god, what's going to happen? But I would not say it was scary. It's definitely a horror, but I mean, I wouldn't call it scary. And it also raises a question, how much should the audience be told? 
how much can be inferred and how much needs explanation. I'm of the opinion Hereditary did not explain enough. Why were they all headless? What was with that symbol? The symbol was on the pole that killed Charlie too. Was that planned? Why were all those words written around the house? Why was she told to try to contact Charlie from the grave when it didn't seem to have any difference on the storyline? There's just, why did her body float up to the, like just nothing was explained. And I'm a big fan of not treating your audience like they're stupid. I'm a big fan of giving you the details, well, giving you the keys and then you put the story together yourself. It's a much more powerful experience that way. But I want you to think about the first Insidious. The first Insidious was terrifying because things were happening and we couldn't explain them. We didn't have a ready explanation for them. But I'll tell you what, enough was explained that I could tell you the storyline. I could tell you important parts of the plot. I want you to compare that to the Insidious sequels that explain everything. They took all the mystery out of it. Like when the door opened mysteriously in the middle of the night and there was alarms. We find out, oh, that's the husband trying to come back. I didn't need that explanation. It took, it's not scary anymore. Or the boy falls off the ladder and he looks in the corner and he sees someone. Well, we find out five movies later that it was the woman. Like, no, I, I don't need that. It was much scarier just seeing him see something. But at the same time, your audience has to know what the story is. You have to give them enough to understand. And I don't think this did that. I think one of my biggest problems though is the protagonists are passive. They try very hard to be active, but there is absolutely nothing they can do to stop this ritual. Ari Aster even said it. There was no free will involved in this at all. This was going to happen no matter what they did. So why even try? So what's the point? Why go through all this? I'm sure there was a much faster way for that cult, that cult to get there what they wanted out of this, which was the boy. Just your, your, your characters have to have a choice. And the only choice our characters had... Tony Collette, actually, the mom, when she was sleepwalking and she covered the children in paint thinner and she lit a match, that was her only choice. It was let this happen or die. And then later, the death choice was taken from her. When she tried to sacrifice herself by burning the book, it burned the husband instead. Another thing I had a problem with, because why? It burned her the first time and then it burned him the second time. That makes no sense. You can't just pull that. So having passive protagonists really put a damper on this for me because it makes me not care about what happens. There's no tension as far as, oh, what's going to happen? We knew what was going to happen. We knew we had no choice but to see this boy get taken over. So overall... I was disappointed by Hereditary. Funny enough, everyone in the movie theater where I went, they got up out of the movie and they were thinking, 
oh my god, this is the stupidest movie I've ever seen. My fiance who saw it with me, she thought it was the stupidest thing she'd ever seen. But then when I sat her down and explained it to her, the different elements and why it really should have been an amazing movie, she started to have more appreciation for it. But I don't know. A lot of people love it. It's got a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, certainly not the first time I have hated a movie everyone loved, but then again, I don't hate it. It's not a bad movie. It just should have been a thousand times better with just a few tweaks. And that is the most frustrating thing for me. It's so close to being epic because God help us, we don't need any more superhero movies. Marvel, please stop. This is bordering on cruel and unusual punishment. Please stop. I can't take this anymore. So for it to be an original film that does not rely on jump scares, Insidious, and it does not rely on cheap tricks and and just... It tried to have a plot. It just it tried to have too much plot. That's the problem. Unlike a whole lot of other horror movies that came out this summer. What's that stupid one? Uh, Truth or Dare. Yeah. Yeah, that was terrible. Overall... I love A24. They produce some amazing movies. Hereditary, it really should have been a really good film, and it wasn't, so I'm actually pretty disappointed. Which brings me to the second movie we saw, which was Superfly. It was a reimagining of the 1972 Blaxploitation film. Now, Blaxploitation means that a film is it's a black film aimed squarely at black audiences. Think of like Foxy Brown, all those Pam Greer movies. And Superfly was definitely one of the most famous and it was directed by director X. Yes, you heard that correctly. Although his name is Julian Lutz. Lutz, however you say that. A Canadian film and music video director. And it was produced by Future. So that's cool. I mean, he's in half the soundtrack. That makes sense. It currently has a 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. I have to tell you, I was more entertained in Superfly. And I don't generally like movies like that. It was entertaining. It did not try too hard to be what it wasn't. It had one clear plot line that we could follow. And we knew what was going on at all times. There were twists, there were surprises, there were definitely um, setups and payoffs. That was fantastic, but it was simple. And for me, simple is always going to win. True, I normally would never see a movie like Superfly. My fiance wanted to see that one, so, you know, thank you, Movie Pass. I saw it. It's not a big deal. Basically, it's a uh, Coke dealer. In Atlanta, set in Atlanta, which, of course, I used to live in. So it was really fun to see all the the buildings and all the areas I would go to. But yeah, that was fun. But uh, he's a drug dealer. He wants to get out of the game. So he says, you know what? I need one more big, big deal so that I never have to do this again. And of course, you know, people don't want to let him out because he's good. Once you're in, you don't get out. So there was a lot of conflict and there was a time, there's a time bomb because the antagonist, which was Juju from Snow Patrol, by the way, 
The scene of Snow Patrol in the club was hilarious. All of them in like dressed in nothing but white with white guns and white everything, everything. It's just, yeah. It glorified violence. While it made a point to paint the hero, which was Priest, as basically nonviolent, he refused to murder anyone. He refused to carry a gun. His way of dealing with people was to use his martial arts that he was he, he was trained in. Everyone else, guns galore. Death everywhere. There's assault rifles everywhere. The guns are more of a fashion statement because, like I said before, they matched the outfits and they were all white. And then there was drive-bys and then we see a pedestrian get shot. Like, there's a whole lot of violence. So compared to everyone else in the film, not just the antagonists, Priest, he's nonviolent. He's a huge outlier in this environment. He doesn't fit in. It also makes a statement about the current state of affairs. All the corrupt cops, they're white. Priest and everyone in his world is either black or Hispanic. The white cops, they execute the black men and the meaning of the violence gets distorted by the media. One thing I have to say though is I hate that we had to have the borderline pornographic black love scene where they have a threesome in the shower that was interesting anyway so that is superfly and i thought it was very interesting and very entertaining so i'm gonna move on to the next thing we are working on a new script called counterculture and actually right now we're location scouting for counterculture it's our next short film i secured our first location today which is the hotel that it's going to be filming in let me tell you that was an experience i made a list of local hotels that are not chains because i feel like a chain hotel can't make that decision so just com- just locally owned and operated hotels And I called them and I went up there and introduced myself and said, hey, I'm making a short film. I need a hotel for three hours. Can you help me out? And surprisingly, I got to yes pretty fast. So you guys, that's a lesson. I mean, you've got to ask. You don't know until you ask. You got to ask for it. So that was uh, was big. Now I just got to get a bar and most of the locations are taken care of. So that's awesome. But... One thing I realized is I am terrible at pitching. I had to tell the owners of the motel what the story was about. I was stumbling. So one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to work on pitching. And you guys are going to help me. So we're going to work on counterculture. So basically, a pitch is the logline. The story is a genre called title about hero who wants goal despite obstacles and you include themes and structural elements so let me try this counterculture the story is a comedy i'd say called counterculture about a girl who wants a uh i guess i'd say her dream job despite not having the qualifications specifically speaking spanish so what does she do she lies and says she speaks spanish anyway and she figures hey i'll learn it on my way to the job i'll I'll learn on my cross-country trip on my way to the job and of course if any of you 
have ever used books on tape or, you know, the Dummies series, you'll know it's not that easy. So she is on her trip and it is not going well. She's not learning anything. And she runs into a hitchhiker who speaks Spanish and she makes a deal with him. She says, listen, you take, you teach me Spanish. I'll take you where you need to go. And the road trip begins. So that's counterculture. That was way too wordy. I should really work on that. All right, let's try it again. Let's try it again. It's a comedy called Counterculture. It deals with cultural differences and, hmm, what's another theme that would arise from that? The basis of the story is she learns that in order to learn a language, you need to learn more than just the words. It's about the culture. I think that's a pretty strong theme. Anyway, when I pitched it, it got better and um, they said yes. So that's what's important. <laughs> so anyway, that is that is the podcast for tonight. Again, uh, Michael sends his regards and hopefully he'll join us next time. Uh, thank you for listening and please stay tuned and follow and subscribe to us because... I swear it is not going to be another 10 months before we post. I swear. All right. Thanks for listening.